Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. Growing research shows that the gut microbiome plays a role in determining everything from weight to behavior to mental health. It has become a mainstream topic of discussion and one of my favorite subjects here on the NutraCast. Our Katz is the co-founder and co-CEO of Seed Health, a microbial health startup that's developing novel uses of bacteria to improve human and planetary health. Welcome to the NutraCast, Ara. Thank you for having me. So just tell me how you got involved in gut health, because that originally wasn't what you started off with, right? No, I, you know, I, I like to say how I got involved in microbes and kind of this invisible world because our work at Seed is kind of far beyond just gut microbiome. My life, you know, prior to, to Seed, I actually come out of consumer tech and out of media. And so my previous life uh, was in building kind of large media brands and, and consumer tech companies, but also have a weird history of uh, that kind of sits at the intersection of kind of like design, storytelling and technology. And one of the things my mom died when I was in high school um, and I, it was my first experience researching clinical trials. And I think that was one of my first brushes with really understanding kind of health and pathology, but also how science works. So I, you know, have had a lifelong obsession and kind of feel like I'm a lifelong skeptic and certainly have watched as a consumer and as somebody who works in building brands have certainly appreciated the rise of wellness. But my whole life, I think of questioning, I think I always felt that there was something kind of fundamentally like kind of missing from the framework. And I think I watched, you know, wellness, of course, create an awesome consciousness for consumers to take better care of themselves. But I also felt that it was moving a little bit away from science. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, for me, I felt that I, if I was ever going to work in health and I had a number of opportunities to join some of the, the wellness companies you probably know today that are, you know, become big companies, but I just felt that I wanted something that would be rig- rigorously scientific, but also kind of something that what we refer to in tech is a zero to one. Um, and the microbiome to me, which, you know, 38 trillion microbes that live in and on us, and of course, way more than all, all matter on earth, you know, and, and I think we're just kind of beginning to scratch the surface of, of what this kind of new biological framework offers us in terms of understanding health in our bodies and of course our environment. And so for me, when I understood microbes in the microbiome, which I really discovered mostly kind of coincidentally when I became pregnant, I think that for me was like, that was the zero to one. That was like the aha moment that like for the rest of my career, I could spend waking up every day learning and believing that there was kind of a new way to understand the body and and certainly a new area to harness to make a huge impact in human health, particularly for areas where there are currently no good solutions or the existing ones are not working. And that was my journey to, to microbes and the microbiome. I feel like every day I learn something new about the microbiome. And a lot of times I read these studies and you always take something away, but then you walk away sort of scratching your head with even more questions that you started off with. <laughs> yes. Interestingly, I think one of the most fascinating things about microbiome science, unlike a lot of other areas of science that people are like, oh yeah, great. Well, it's, it's going to be seven years before that impacts my life. I think there's actually really interesting learnings that happen in microbiome. Like, yes, some of them make you scratch your head and some may be a bit far off, particularly maybe in areas that are earlier in their more nascent stages of research. But I think there's a lot of learnings that have happened very quickly from a microbiome perspective that actually are immediately actionable in our lives. And I think that's actually unique in in science, which most things are really when they're in their early stages are very hard to action or understand. But I think microbiome is a field that actually 
weirdly enough, like immediately things, everything from like understanding the role of the polyphenols, uh, specific plant fibers, you know, whether or not to have a dog, like spending time in nature, the, the role of microbiome of breast milk and the HMOs and carbohydrates in breast milk, you know, there's very, very immediately actionable and understandable things that are coming out of the research that I think are basically you could make life changes today that impact that. And I think that that to me is actually fascinating and really compelling part of the field. That is a very fascinating part that I actually, I don't think anybody has ever really brought that up, but it is a really good point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like every day that passes, this field becomes a little more mainstream, more and more people are talking about it. And you just started seed just a few years ago. I mean, how has the category evolved just in the last, you know, the few short years since you started seed? (laughs) Well, it depends if you're talking about countries where there's regulation and countries where there's not. You know, in, in a country like the U.S. where the term probiotic is not regulated the way it currently is in the, in the EU, for example, which um, is actually even under discussion uh, now and maybe changing soon. But, you know, you, you start to see, I think, this kind of thesis that we saw with the beginning of anything like any of the functional foods, which was, you know, the notion that if you just put microbes into anything, it's somehow a probiotic, which, of course, is not the scientific definition of a probiotic, nor right. probably has any impact other than on your wallet. And so... You know, I think like any, any things that take off very quickly, you see sensationalism, you see hyperbole, you see opportunism. And then you also, at the same time, see a conflation of that with, you know, consumer and human awareness of an area, which I actually think, you know, sometimes marketing dollars that while they're misspent, maybe on the product, they do raise consciousness and awareness. It's kind of like part of my thesis about the rise of wellness. Um, even though, again, I don't, I don't know if all those dollars are well spent. And then I think there's the other part of that, which is, you know, public opinion and public, the velocity of public interest also helps the velocity of research. And I don't think people realize actually the interplay sometimes of like how sometimes like areas that while they, you know, you kind of in, in tech, you would say it was like the Friendster before Facebook, you see how actually like the velocity of of awareness and the marketing dollars, again, whether they're spent well or not on, on the products that deserve them, you know, create an overall layer, conscious and unconscious, of this area of our health. And probiotics are interesting as a category because, you know, they do get conflated with microbiome all the time. So what it's done is not just create like an a, acute awareness of probiotics, but it has also, I think, created a lot of awareness around the microbiome. And then I think what we're starting to see is that's moving to other ecosystems of the body. So it's going to, you know, of course, skin is, is now just beginning the ecosystem that lives and, and modulates kind of our, um, the health of our, of our skin. And then I think, you know, vaginal microbiome, of course, with women's health. And, you know, we're, we're, we'll start to hear a lot more about oral microbiome uh, and the role of localized, of course, role of, the, or of microbes in the mouth, but then also, of course, their connection to all kinds of disease and pathology. And so, you know, I think it's, it's kind of just beginning, but the tidal wave has been driven by this kind of interesting intersection of the speed of the science coming online while also categories like probiotics that people, because they're microbes, kind of get all jumbled up into one bucket uh, from the mind of a consumer, uh, even though they're, they're distinct from each other, but, and they certainly have a relationship, but they are quite, quite distinct. And so the other thing that I'd say that I, part of my hypothesis about the, the snowball effect of microbiome is that 
you know, it's a beautiful intersection of East and West. And while we, we work much more like as a life science company, you know, that the frameworks of Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, you know, Ayurvedic medicine, all kinds of, you know, integrative and functional, you know, they're for so long and for centuries, right. Have, if not longer, have really focused on this role of the gut. And so I think in a lot of ways, there's a lot of validation to those frameworks, while they didn't have specificity, they didn't necessarily know which, you know, which specific strain of bacteria, there were certainly an understanding that, and obviously even Hippocrates, Hippocrates talked about the gut. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I think in a lot of ways, there's like a, 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 an interesting kind of movement from inwards to find this kind of common ground between East and West that the microbiome offers that speaks to people, no matter where your orientation is, and has kind of a doorway in whether you're like, a more like rigorous kind of Western scientist or gastroenterologist, or, you know, somebody who's practiced Ayurvedic medicine for, you know, for decades. And so it's an interesting common ground in the space, which I, I find fascinating. And I think has really contributed to the, the groundswell of awareness. You brought up probiotics and they have received a lot of bad press in the last year or so. What you need to know about probiotics and gut health in general? Well, I mean, they've earned a lot of bad press deservingly first of all, saying probiotics is, is like, you know, it, it, it's like, it's like saying I eat food with, with no further specificity and then right. saying all food, all food is bad. Right. So almost all of those things lack kind of clarity and, and precision. I think when you group anything into uh, a single category, but in, in, for the most part, like I, I think I side on the part of skepticism based on most of the products that, that exist today. And I think that's partially kind of what you're talking about earlier, which is like, you know, at least in the, in the U S in a lot of places in the world, like you can just put bacteria, by the way, whether or not it's laced, whether or not it's alive, no matter what, it, you don't even have to say the strain, you just say the species, which is literally like having a dog and not knowing if it's a lab or a, a Datsun there's been no specificity to the category. And so I I would wholeheartedly agree with the skepticism. There's been no kind of reliable measurements or or standards that companies have to hit. There's no methodologies for survivability insurance or stability that I think, you know, I think in a a lot of ways, I I, I really agree with it. In terms of what people need to know, I mean, I, I think that the first is to understand that the scientific definition, which you know, was authored by a panel that was chaired by our, our chief scientist for our consumer probiotics, Dr. Gregor Reed, for the UN and the WHO in 2011. And that states that a probiotic is a live microorganism that when administered in an adequate dosage confers benefits to the host. I mean, if you break that down, that, that says today that we believe that a live microbe not a dead one and not a, a mutilated one through the process of digestion in a dose dosage that's been verified in some sort of clinical setting or in another way to derive. There are obviously other models now for, for doing so and that it confers a, a benefit, which means that there's some measurable biomarker that's been studied and ideally published in a, in a human host, at least for human probiotics. And so I think like, you know, once you break that down, you start to see it's specificity that matters. So which strain is it? Is the strain mirrored in the conditions that was done in the clinical trial and the right dosage and in the fermentation conditions? It's, you know, what, how are you kind of preserving the, the strain in, in what you're putting in your product that also was studied in whatever clinical work you're referencing or whatever ones you did yourself? Uh, and then, you know, certainly from there, it's, well, what is the desired benefit? And so I think saying probiotics are, are your skepticism, skeptical is like, well, which strains, which ones and what dosage, how are they being delivered? How is it being measured? And so I think there's like 
first and foremost, I think it would be specificity matters. And what do you want the bacteria to actually do in the body? And, and I think that's the first piece. So specificity of which strain, specificity of what actually like the endpoint is that you're looking for, I think are two like really important pieces that are often missing um, because they do get kind of conflated. And, and I think that's just because they started so much around the, the localized benefit of GI and digestive health. So probiotics kind of get like all lumped together. But to your point at the very beginning, when you introduced the podcast, you said, you know, of course there's, there's microbes that are now being studied across so many different indications, uh, respiratory health, um, obviously, for, you know, soon, I think there'll be areas like psychobiotics that, that are looking at very specific microbes that could have an impact for, you know, major depressive disorder, or, uh, certainly from a metabolic perspective or working across the gut liver access to, you know, to prevent the reuptake of cholesterol or working on the gut skin access to, you know, dampen an inflammatory response. And so, you know, it's like almost like if you were being into a pharmacy, you know, you don't go to the digestive health aisle for a headache that's kind of where a lot of this world is, is heading. And, that, and that's, of course, I'm just talking about oral probiotics when you start talking about topically applying them to the skin or putting something in, the, in your mouth for the oral microbiome, modulation of the oral microbiome, or of course, localized administration of a vaginal probiotic or your genital probiotic, those are very different. And so specificity is, I guess, the underline there. You know, from there, I think there's all kinds of marketing messages that I'd be happy to unpack, like, you know, refrigeration and, you know, survivability. And there's like all, all kinds of, hyperbole and, and sensationalism and a lot of misleading marketing, I think in that space. But for the most part, I, I think it, it really is perking up as a consumer and, and looking and saying like, well, what is the strain that I'm putting in my body and what was it studied for? And is there a way that actually the strain is being delivered into my body that could actually even have that benefit? If it's in a tortilla chip or a chocolate bar, I can probably make a quick guess that it's probably not going to. <laughs> right. <laughs> You brought up sensationalism, and I think that social media plays a huge role in all of that. I know that you work with a lot of influencers, and it's very imperative to you that they're well-versed on your products. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, what is Seed University? <laughs> well, it is a free university on Instagram that we built for anyone really who's going to be speaking or partnering with us to kind of go through before they take a, a, a short a kind of final exam that they must pass with 100% in order to access any of the links that they they need to be able to be part of our partner program. And, you know, we built it on Instagram as kind of a bit of a wink, but, you know, really believe that the medium is the message. And, we built it on the platform where I think some of the most egregious, well, both FTC violations, but also, um, you know, kind of misinformation happens around health. And we did that to say that, you know, these platforms inherently are not bad. Um, I think, you know, these platforms get a tremendous amount of flack, but actually, you know, you can use them for good and you can use them for education. And I think you can learn a lot about why they're so good for spreading information so quickly. And if you can harness that into an experience that's educational, and informative and actually creates and, and instead of cultivating lack of accountability, it can actually be the very place where you can actually encourage and empower accountability. That was our hypothesis and very happy to say that the experiment has been going really well. And, you know, we've won a lot of awards for it and, and we're really proud that, and we, we pop up other courses all the time on our own Instagram, but, you know, I think we're really proud that, that we put that friction in place. And, and I think also it really helps you know, some of the, the influencers and some of the other KOLs that we work with learn not just about our product, but also about FTC compliance and the importance of accountability. 
Um, and also just generally about, you know, we have a whole part of the course about microbiome and just probiotics in general, you know, whether or not they ever want to plug or, or talk about or partner with us to promote our product, at least we feel there's some base education. So when other companies or other people, part, you know, approach them, the very least put some good learning and, and education out in the world, which I think in, in general, all boats, you know, rise with the tide when, when you kind of take the stance that, you know, learning and education is really our, our superpower and something that we, we really pride ourselves on, you know, whether or not someone wants to work with us or, or talk about our, or take or purchase our product. And I think that we just play the long game in that way. And I think that across all aspects of the company, and I think it pays off. I definitely think you raised the bar with Seed University. Did you notice other brands doing anything similar or trying to raise the bar as well and make sure their influencers are well-versed in all areas? I mean, I think there's a lot of companies out there in the world that work with influencers in certainly different capacities. I don't, I haven't seen anyone do it from like a regulatory and like, you know, misinformation kind of compliance way. I think that there are some other brands that have probably built out good education for how people learn, particularly in the beauty space, I think for how people learn about the product, but no, I, I, I wish I, I wish we saw actually more. I think I wish we saw more of it. We think it's, it's kind of an, a, a responsibility and it's a form of marketing. Even, even gifting is a form of marketing. So we try and be really mindful about that. Mm-hmm. I was reading that Seed recently announced the acquisition of a digital health company called Augie. Uh, what's yes. the plan with that? <laughs> we, we, well, it's a funny story because we, we actually launched our first big citizen science campaign last year was um, called give a shit, which was literally, (laughs) literally send us photos of your poop so that we could build the largest stool image database in in the world that then ultimately trained the AI to about 96% accuracy, which means that off of a mobile phone image, we can now accurately Bristol stool type poop, which you know, today, of, of course, has some limited applications, but we're very excited, I think, to allow, you know, I think poop in general is like a very stigmatized da- data point that literally gets flushed down the toilet every day. But we know that, you know, GI health and digestive health are really important biomarkers, you know, not dissimilar to things like sleep that have been really ignored and and because of the stigmatization, not really talked about. And I think that, you know, we we're, we're building that into a really interesting kind of open source product and then also experimenting that anybody will be able to use. I think we're targeting and we'll probably reach back. I'm sure we'll tell you guys about it. We're probably going to launch the first iteration of it in May. At least that's the current plan. And, and I think that that will be kind of open source for anyone to use. And then we're also experimenting with how some of the tracking capabilities and that feedback loop um, also really helps and enhances the, the experience with, um, with our existing Daily Symbiotic or DSO-1 members and whether or not having that kind of feedback loop while you're taking a product is also really helpful. And, you know, of course, with both compliance and also efficacy and outcome. And so we're, we're just starting some of that testing now too. All right. I got to ask how many people responded to your, your database? Oh, tens of tens of thousands. It was crazy. And, and actually, interestingly, it wasn't even as much the number, although we did get a lot of responses from around the world, but actually it was fascinating because what it really unearthed, which was eye-opening to me, and I don't think any of us anticipated it, was that a lot of it with IBS and ulcerative colitis and Crohn's actually uploaded like thousands of images at a time because they had been taking photos of their stool for years as part of their life, oh. uh, living with some sort of pathology. And so that was fascinating because they were the people were so excited. They're like, 
I have to take, you know, it's been such a shameful thing that I like hide in my phone, but actually now that I know that it could serve science, like that's incredible. And so some, like one woman uploaded 7,000 images, which was just incredible. So, oh my God. you know, I think like, to me, like, I think that actually it really showed how much so many people who live with some of the, the most critical, like GI conditions, like kind of live in the shadows and have to do this stuff, you know, some of these behaviors very privately, which has a lot of shame and, you know, other baggage, I think, associated with that. And so I think in some ways, sometimes these things are, you know, yes, the science and, and some of the insights and, and certainly some of that is, is incredibly important, but, you know, sometimes you don't realize that actually it's sometimes just as important to unearth some of the more emotional and maybe less quantifiable aspects of these projects, because it teaches you a lot about what suffering and health, you know, really mean. And it brings a much more humanistic element to, you know, something like that could feel very techy, like, you know, artificial intelligence. Wow. That is, that is amazing. I'm, I'm shocked. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you guys were surprised. I mean, did you yeah, have any we idea that you would get no. that response? No, I don't think we, I think we knew that we'd get a lot of entries because we're, you know, we're good at like reaching a lot of people, but I don't think that we thought it would be more of like a fun, like people would do it more like as like a haha, like citizen science project. But I don't think we thought it would unearth that kind of a response um, from people who had been doing, you know, taking photos of their stool kind of like that regularly for years, which was totally unexpected. Wow. So it sounds like you've got a lot going on. Anything else in the pipeline that you can tell us about? Uh, nothing that we're quite ready to to announce yet, but I think we're going to launch our next product probably before the end of September, maybe even over the summer. And so we're really excited and to share to share more about that. I think it's um, it's going to be really a big next moment for us, and and really exciting to I think meet you know expand our impact, uh, which is very meaningful for us. So nothing we can talk about yet publicly, but. I definitely dropped some hints over the course of our conversation, but we'll be announcing it soon, actually. And we'll keep you posted. Yeah, you'll have to keep us posted. And just one last question before I let you go, Ara. You you mentioned impact. And I'm just wondering, you know, you were named in Marie Claire's 50 Most Influential Women in America and Business Insider Silicon Valley Top 100. What sort of legacy do you hope to look back at or impact do you hope to have when you look back at your career and the things that you've accomplished? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can answer everything else you asked me so much more easily. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, a, it's actually a really timely question because, you know, I think that there's a lot of people who listen and think that they're, you know, everyone's company has to go change the world and, you know, everyone has to do this and do that. I, I think impact can happen in like the tiniest ways. I think giving people jobs makes an impact. So I don't try and be too grandiose about these things, but I, I would say that I would say that I, and I say I, and I think I I say I, but I also mean our extraordinary team at C2, which is that I really hope we shift perspective because I think that without changing the way people can think and understand themselves and make decisions and choices for their health and for this planet, everything else is just, you're as good as kind of the next Instagram post or the next trend or the next thing. But when you can really change how people see themselves or change a framework or a way that someone thinks, I think like perspective is, is when you can change the lens, it's like when you're at the optometrist's office and they're like clicking on the lenses and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden you can see, I think like, I really do hope that my work 
you know, and, and what I would love to leave behind is probably two, two things, which is that the greatest impact would have come from shifting perspective, which then led to, you know, changes that could really make people feel and do health better. <laughs> we like to say health is a verb. And I think the second would be that, that people felt that it was done with love. And I, you know, I don't mean that like necessarily entirely in like a, a hallmark way, but that it all felt human and that it was done with love. That's the best I could say. And that it feels human because I think that that's one of the biggest problems that science has, which is that you have these extraordinary people who are changing the way that we see and understand ourselves every day, but they're really not good at communicating with like love and humanity. And so as a result, the people who are really good at communicating in love and humanity, those messages really drown out. I think some of the the beautiful work that happens in science. And so mm-hmm. I really do hope that in shifting perspective, it also means like hearing and, and tasting and smelling and sounding and, and feeling science as an input in how we think about our lives in the world. It would be a, a beautiful outcome for me. I love that in a non-Hallmark sort of way. (laughs) Our cats, co-founder and co-CEO of Seed Health. Thank you so much for coming on the NutriCast today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for your thoughtful questions. If you like what you just heard, you could subscribe to the NutriCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutriIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutri-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.